Father, this evening we just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you, Lord. Yes, Father. As we sang, Father, when we look to the cross, that love that demands everything from us. Show us, Lord, today, even today, Lord, as we study the word, today, the response you seek from us. Speak to us. The children have come through the rain, the water, the traffic snarls, everything, just to hear your voice. Speak to us. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, we've been looking in the past uh, couple of Sundays and Wednesdays, the difference, the difference between knowledge understanding and wisdom. One of the things young people should do is always bring a book and a pen. That way you cannot lose concentration. You can look and look and smile and smile and still be a villain. That's what Shakespeare said. You can look and look and not listen. If you write, I'm telling you tips as a teacher to students. If you have a book and a pen, it's no way you cannot listen because you need to take it down. So these are habits, because you know, everybody's mind wanders. Everybody's mind wanders, unless you have disciplined your mind over a period of time not to wander. So young people, one of the ways you discipline yourself is keep a book. It will help you all through your studies, all through, because then you learn. Because when you go to higher classes at higher levels, you know the lecturers will come and go so fast and you cannot meet them and ask your questions, but you have got the habit of writing down the points. When you come back, you know what he spoke on. So it always will go back, helping you. These are disciplines so that you listen, okay? So we've been looking at knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. These are foundational truths on which to build our lives. Because in Jose, uh, Hosea, we see in our regional languages, uh, four six, God says, "My people perish." Both tran- pronunciations are fine. Okay, actually, Hosea is more right than Ose, uh, which is English, but Hebrew and all will be more as Hosea. Four six, God says, "My people perish because of lack of knowledge." So, before wisdom and understanding comes, you need knowledge. And this is true in every field. Okay? Though God is here talking about a different kind of knowledge in any field. In the world, they say knowledge is equal to power. Anybody who has succeeded in any field, you will see it is because of the knowledge they acquired in that field. Even a good thief is a successful thief because he had acquired knowledge about how to steal without being caught. Even that is knowledge. Okay. The thief who was foolish and got caught at the first attempt is because he did not have enough knowledge. So knowledge is power. So don't be a successful thief. Know the knowledge of the Lord. But you can have all the knowledge in your field, be extremely successful in this world, and be a total failure in eternity. Absolute failure in eternity. Because true knowledge, as we saw On Sunday, which God says in Proverbs 9 and verse 10, genuine true knowledge is the knowledge of the Holy One. 
creation doesn't know the knowledge of the creator, then we have failed. So this is the true foundation of every true believer. The real foundation on which the believer, unlike the people in the world, the believer builds his life on the knowledge of the Holy One. Because what we believe will always determine what we seek in life. What we seek in life. Each one of you go back if you want to do a homework and see what am I actually seeking in life. You will see it is based on what you actually believe. Therefore the foundational truth about everything else for the child of God on which he must build is the knowledge of the Holy One. And the first primary premise everybody need to know about God is God is holy. Once we start understanding this, it will change our entire perspective of God. Everything else. This is the foundation, okay, for the child of God. When I see the young prophet sees his vision of God in heaven, he has a glimpse into heaven. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. This is what angels, not the fallen ones, The glorious angels in the presence of God were covering their face. There is no sin in them. Yet they were not able to face the holiness of God. When we see a parallel in the new covenant, when John the apostle is taken to heaven till 1 to 3 of Revelation, we have Jesus in the midst of the churches examining each church. In chapter 4, God tells John, come up hither. And then you have a glimpse in the new covenant too about four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within and do not rest day or night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty was and is and is to come. The entire perspective in heaven, like on earth, in heaven, to which our eyes are actually closed unless God opens them. Is this cry reverberating in heaven is God is holy. Not God is love, God is mercy, God is, all these things are true. But heaven, the cry is God is holy. And theologians say of all the attributes associated to God in the Bible, the one that is used maximum in the Bible is holy with God. Okay, so get that into our minds. If we had this perspective right in the beginning, that's why I always say you may think you may struggle, but you're incredibly blessed at your age to know what we got to know years and years later after coming to the Lord. You're getting it early if you get to know this early because this is what separates God from his creation. What separates God from his creation is the fact that he is holy. Which is a subject which can never be covered by any man. 
what all men put together can never discover the subject about the holiness of God. But it is a subject that should draw the attention of every man. Because one day, every man will encounter the holy God. And it's a very terrifying prospect to know these heavenly creatures, these seraphims and cherubims who've been there in the presence of God for millenniums. We don't know when they were created. Even now, they cover their eyes. And to think that we mortal men will have to stand before that holy God and give account. So God is holy. That's what we hear in heaven day and night without cessation. God is holy. And everything he does, remember, is because he is holy. He is touched by his holiness. And because God is holy, both in the old and the new covenant, he calls his people, his children, to be holy. Both old and new. In Leviticus 11 and verse 45, God says, I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall be, therefore be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, there because I am holy. In First Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16, But as he who called you is holy, you shall be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. I am holy. We are called in the Bible. If you know from Hebrews 12, 14, 14, 12, 14, to pursue holiness. Pursue peace with all people and pursue holiness. Remember, you have to see it as you do a maths. Two plus three in brackets into four means four into two and four into three. Okay? Pursue peace and pursue holiness. Pursue peace with all human beings. What do you mean pursue peace? That's not the subject of today's teaching. Pursue peace means to forgive everybody. Whether they forgive you or not. What is the Lord's prayer? Forgive. Please say that part. Forgive. As we. I got an interesting insight. I heard Zach Poonan speak. I was... I heard him this week and he was saying, do you know what you pray? Do you know what you pray? You pray, Lord, forgive me only according to the quantity I forgive others. That's actually, he says, your prayer. And that's what God told us to pray. Meaning if you pray, forgive 50%, God forgives you 50%. If you forgive 60%, God forgives you 60%. It's a very dicey thing. So God says, forgive from your heart. God will forgive you from his heart. Pursue peace with all people. Pursue holiness with which no one will see God. No one will see God. Understand that. Okay. So there is something God has told us to pursue in this life. That is not wealth. That is not a wife. That is not a career. That is not health. It is to pursue Holiness. Seek ye first the righteousness of God, but pursue holiness. It's a very, very difficult topic for anybody to study or even preach on, but it has to be preached on, it has to be studied. Because holiness describes both the majesty of God and the purity and moral perfection of his nature. It's the absolute, we cannot even think about it, absolute absence of any evil. 
in God. Nothing. Nothing stains him. Absolutely. In 1 John 1, 5 scripture says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Absolutely no darkness at all. James 1, 13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by evil. Forget, cannot be tempted by evil. Forget stained by evil. He cannot be even. We are tempted by evil. But he is not even tempted by evil. Absolute moral purity, perfection. He is righteous in all his ways, unlike us, because he is holy. Because he is holy. What does it mean? It means he is holy, therefore he is perfectly conforms to his divine character. Because he is holy, he is righteous in all his ways. He will never change. So what does salvation mean to you and me? What does salvation mean? When you look from the aspect perspective of holiness. In the Old Testament, there was only one place where God put his name. Where people would go to worship. That was the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, we are looking in the Old Testament. That was where the presence of God was. That was where sacrifices were offered. That was where prayer was offered. And his house, he said, shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. Not for nation of Israel alone, for all nations. Did you know that? All nations. In Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. Where? There. And my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. That was God's idea. That Israel would be an interceding, praying people for all the Gentile nations. It didn't work that way, okay? It was also a place where the people gathered to study the word. That is why even after they were baptized and became Christians, they gathered at the temple courts. And Jesus went and preached at the temple court. That was one place where people gathered to learn the word. It was a place where a set of people in the Old Testament called the Levites, one tribe, were consecrated to do certain duties. One set of people are completely consecrated for the temple duties. So, so many things happen in the temple and it could only happen actually in the temple. Yet in the new covenant in Acts chapter 17 verse 24, God says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Because he doesn't dwell there. God does not dwell in anything built by Hands. In John chapter 2 and verse 19, you remember Jesus after cleansing the temple and they were very upset and said, how dare you do this? He said, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He said, told the crowd, the Pharisees, destroy it. I can rebuild it in three days. What he actually meant in verse 21, no, 221. Sorry. He meant was his body in chapter 2. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Putting Old Testament and New Testament together. Jesus' body was like the temple. In the temple, God spoke to man from the most holy place. 
in Christ and through Christ God spoke to man. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, God who at various times and various ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. So God spoke through Jesus when Jesus became the temple and he says I am the temple, this body is the temple, God spoke through him from the most holy place. In the temple was the altar for sacrifices, both for atonement, for sin. It pointed to Jesus. His body became the altar and the offering for sin. It was both in the temple. The temple was the house of prayer. And Jesus' life was marked mostly by his prayer life. More than anything else, his Life was marked by prayer. So here is Jesus talking about the temple of his body. From him God speaks. His body will become the sacrifice. It's both the altar and the sacrifice for atonement for sin. He is the house of God. His life is marked by prayer. So when they killed Jesus, they destroyed the real temple. But he rose again on the third day. And the one who resurrected is the temple or the house of prayer for all nations. Therefore, every true Christian is a temple of the living God. Okay? In First Corinthians chapter 3, 16 and 17, we know it well. Do you not know you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Don't you know? We are the temple of the living God. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy. Why were the temples which Israel built, why were all the temples destroyed? Because they desecrated the temple. God used Gentile nations to destroy his own temple. Because the Hebrews desecrated the temple because the temple was holy because God is holy and his spirit resided there and he had put his name on the temple. So in the new covenant he tells us the same thing. You are my temple and if my spirit resides in you, if you desecrate the temple, I will have to destroy the temple. Okay, get it. So in the Old Testament, now look at the difference. Okay, look at the difference. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. God had a temple for his people. In the New Covenant, God has a people as his temple. The difference. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Covenant, God has a people for his temple. In the old covenant, they got very upset when the temple was destroyed. In the new covenant, we should be very upset when we desecrate ourselves. Instead, we send WhatsApp messages all about buildings being destroyed. God is not bothered. Because God doesn't dwell in a building anymore. Because the temple is not the building. If you sit in the corridor, that becomes the temple. We sit outside in the veranda, that becomes the temple. The temple is no longer any building, whatever name you give it to. It doesn't matter how old it is, how ancient it is, makes no difference. You cannot today desecrate God's temple by desecrating the building. 
So when all these, whatever dulls do all these, they throw all those things out, don't get upset by it. As a citizen, be upset because it is against your fundamental freedom. But don't be upset as a believer. You should be more upset by a believer when you sin. Than be upset by a WhatsApp message about a building being destroyed. Because God does not live in a temple anymore. He lives in his people. So in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Covenant, God has a people as a temple. Compare now, okay? In the Old Covenant, this is what happened. In Second Chronicles 7.16, when the temple is consecrated. For I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. This was the temple Solomon built. This is what God is saying. He put his name. He said, I have chosen. I have sanctified. And I put my name and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. In the new covenant in Matthew 28 verse 19. Go therefore make disciples of all nations and baptizing them. The minister you believe, you repent, you believe and you are baptized. He puts his name on the temple. He puts his name on the temple. Same thing Peter will say in Acts chapter 2. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The minute that happens, truly, truly happens, what happens? He puts his name and his spirit comes inside you. And his eyes are perpetually now not on you, in you. He's there in you. He is not looking at you from far away. He's looking at you from within. So never ask, Lord, where are you? He says, right inside. Very troubled by your behavior, but right inside. Okay. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13 to 14, when the temple was consecrated, indeed it came to pass, the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments, music, praise the Lord, saying, for his good, his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. So that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. Cloud we know in the Old Testament is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So when that temple was consecrated, the first thing that happened was the Spirit of God came and filled the temple. Parallel in the New Covenant in Romans 8 and verse 9 says, "If you, you, but you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God comes and dwells in us. You have to see... Because like I said, this is how you make your choices. The Spirit of God comes in and He dwells in us. In the Jewish temple we saw, His temple would be called a place of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. Therefore in the new covenant, God tells us in First Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. What happened in the house of God in Jerusalem all the time? prayer. What happens in the house of God today? In each one of us, God says pray without ceasing. And in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. In the spirit. 
Okay, you will see the parallels. Therefore, now we become the house of prayer for all nations. All nations. Israel was not only a house of prayer, it was a house of prayer for all nations. And you will see instances in the Bible, like when Naman the Syrian has leprosy. It's a young Israelite slave girl who says, God of Israel. God of Israel. Unbelievers coming to Israel because they knew the God of Israel was different. And God is telling in the new covenant that if you truly walk in obedience to what God has said and become the house of prayer, the unbelievers around you in your school, in your college will sense it and will tell you, will you pray for me? Because you have become the house of prayer for all nations. Not only for the house of prayer for the nation of God, which is a holy nation, but all nations. Understand how it works. Everything in the temple, fourth thing you see is that everything in the temple was consecrated to God. In the temple. Anything in the temple, it was consecrated to God, set apart for God, sanctified for a holy use. It became holy by association. Everything. There was nothing small or big that was used in the temple which did not become holy by association because it was consecrated for God's use. Even in the hands of a wicked man. The man did not change the consecration of the object. So you will see an issue when Korah and his whole gang is destroyed by God. A fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were off who were offering incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, yeah, can I have the next one? Oh. Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy. The people have been consumed. People have been consumed. They're all gone. Then he tells Eliezer, the high priest's son, Aaron's son, go pick up all the censers from the fire in the ruins, because the censers are holy. So everything in the temple was consecrated for a holy use. In the new covenant, God says, we are the temple. Therefore, the first thing God says in Romans 12 and verse 1 is, offer your bodies, your whole bodies first. He says, offer your body, consecrate your body for a holy use. Romans 6 and verse 13, he will say, present the members of your instruments of your body as instruments of what? Righteousness to God. Consecrate every member of your body. Every member of your body as an instrument of righteousness because you are the temple of the living God. And everything in the temple is consecrated for a holy use. Everything is consecrated for a holy use. That's why the patterns we have in the Old Testament. Samson was a Nazarene, so he was set apart from God. Set apart from God. And every time he sinned, he sinned fast with his eyes, which led him to sin. And because his eyes he did not consecrate as an instrument of righteousness, when he is judged, the first thing that is taken out is his Taken out his eyes. Taken out is his eyes. Okay. There's a 
given to us as practical examples about what will happen to God's children. When God finally judged them, I'm not saying you will lose your salvation, but if you constantly kept on sinning with your eyes and then you made it to heaven by the, what we say, by the skin of your teeth. We have a saying in English, okay, teeth doesn't have skin, but just by the skin of your teeth you made it. What happens is that you do not have the vision to see God. All of eternity. I believe all of eternity. I don't know what God can do, but I think once judgment is set, it is set. Okay. And we don't even realize, oh my gosh, I watched TV all my life. I watched all this junk all my life. Now I'm in all in eternity. I cannot appreciate the beauty of God. Okay, so understand how judgment may be set. Okay, we learn from the old. We learn and understand this is all built on one foundational truth. God is holy. God is holy. Therefore, everything in the temple was consecrated for a holy use. In the new covenant, we are the temple, so it's your body is holy. The instruments of your body should be offered as instruments of righteousness, the members of your body. And in Romans 11 and verse 16 says, if the first fruit is holy, the lamb also is holy. First fruit is holy. Okay, You, let us say, your banana tree, easy. Okay, your banana tree. First plantain cups. You take it to the temple and offer it as first fruits. And it is holy. Because it is holy and you gave it to God, everything else that comes on it also becomes holy because you offered the first fruit as holy. Okay, new covenant. How do you apply it? We are the temple of the living God. So you come on a Sunday morning and you offer Sunday, that part of Sunday, as holy to God. Therefore God says, is your Monday to Saturday holy? Or did you think Monday to Saturday you could do what you could do? And Sunday is the Lord's day? Monday to Saturday, we don't belong to God? Our bodies are not temples of the living God. The instruments of bodies belong to us. doesn't belong to him anymore. Think. Chew on that tonight. The temple of the Lord was a place where songs were sung and God was glorified. So in Second Chronicles 29-25, he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, with harps, according to the commandment of David, of God, the king's seer, okay? There were so many singers with all kinds of instruments. In First Chronicles 15 and verse 22, there was, a, I don't think he was a Ch- Telugu, but he sounds like that. Chennaya, Chennaya, or Chennaya, whatever, okay? Leader of the Levites was an instructor in the charge of music because he was skillful. Are you skillful in music? Okay, you will see there was an instructor of music. And he was sitting put of charge of teaching the other Levites music. There was song was an integral part of worship in the temple. In Second Chronicles chapter 5 verses 12 to 14, scripture says, And the Levites who were singers of those of Asaph, Hebnan, with their sons and their brethren stood at the eastern of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. So this is all there. 
Singing was part of it. And they were always clothed in white linen. Mean you cannot worship God in singing or praise or with, unless you are covered in the righteousness of Christ. Even our songs are not acceptable to God. It may be music to others, but it's no music to God. But singing was an integral part of worship in the temple. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, Scripture says, Don't be drunk with wine. In which is dissipation, but be filled in the spirit. How do you know you are filled with the spirit? People always will tell me, Pastor, how do I know I am filled in the spirit? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, because there will be a song in your heart always. That's how you know. That's how you know. People have other songs. I'm not talking about that songs. God says you are the temple. And one of the primary functions of the Levites in the temple, one group of Levites was to worship God in song. God says, if you are filled with my spirit, it doesn't matter what situation you are, you will always have a song in your heart. That's why the new covenant priesthood of Paul and Silas is having a worship service in the prison at the midnight hour. Because they are true priests. And they are worshipping God in the spirit. They have a song. They have a song. And God is not looking at our musical accomplishments. He's looking into our heart to see whether we have a song or whether we are like those children of Israel in Babylon who hung their harps and they said, we have no song to sing. Your covenant Paul and Silas are singing in the prison. Okay? And Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 says... Therefore, by him, through the Holy Spirit, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Giving thanks to his name. That's why you should learn songs. You should really, this is the age you can sing all these things, learn all these things. Instead of learning all the junk, use your time like GTLC Yesterday at 5 or 5.30 we are having worship at uh, LHL with the special needs children. We call them special needs. So worship leader was Charan. I suddenly remembered and said, Charan, why don't you sing a few of the hymns? You don't sing it here. But I know you learn. He sang. Stood there and he was happy and he stood there and he sang. And I didn't know some of the stanzas. Good for him. Singing hymns. Singing hymns. Psalms to one another. You can. This is the age you can. Once you grow to my age, you will find it even difficult to memorize scripture because your brain doesn't work the same way when you are young. Young, you can memorize anything. Ask somebody who's 50 years old or 60 years old who doesn't know multiplication tables, ask them to learn fives, multi or three or six. They struggle. You can remember it just like that because you learned it when you were young. Everything I can remember from all the days of my school, you know what it is? It's the nursery rhymes I learned at primary school. The rest you have forgotten. When you are young, you can learn, memorize a whole lot of stuff and learn to learn to sing now. It's a discipline, don't worry. One day it will hit you, salvation will hit you and you will realize I stored it all, now it becomes life. There were people in the army when I ministered over there, captains who came, they came because the senior officer said, come. They all came, they sat, they heard, they heard, they heard, they heard, because army is discipline. The senior officer, colonel, CEO is a believer and he says, all the Christian officers come to church, they will all come to church and sit there. 
They won't move because SEO is sitting over there. And they're all Christians. They don't believe. They don't know the word. They learned. They heard. They heard. They heard. One year, one and a half years later, they got touched by the spirit of God. They got saved. And they said, I understood. Understand now everything I heard for one year. Understand. Now I understand everything. It just made light. The same way. Don't worry. These are times you have to learn. Sit there, learn, memorize songs, scripture, everything. It's a discipline, learn. One day when you really get saved, because many of you are not saved yet. Not saved yet. The spirit of God hasn't touched your spirit yet. Once that happens, all this will become light. It will make sense and you will thank God I learned when I could. Okay? So, don't take these things, take this as a discipline and do it because scripture says we offer to him. We are the New Testament covenant priests. We offer to him this sacrifice of praise. Otherwise he will struggle like me. Who learned all the Hindi songs of movies all through childhood. All India Radio Gohati, um, Sri Lanka, Radio Sri Lanka, that one. Every Hindi song I knew. Today, even today while coming for lunch, suddenly I looked and saw green and I was singing, Where did that come? I don't know. Because that's what you memorize when you were young. It just pops up. Everything that you memorize as young. Can you imagine if you at this age memorize all the songs you hear in church, all the hymns you can, you choose. Doesn't You don't have to sing well. That is for man. For God, he's not looking at your musical accomplishment. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at your words. You know, Do it now as young people. Learn it now. So we saw the sixth thing, fifth thing that happened in the temple. They offered praise. And then sixth thing. We saw everybody who served in the temple were assigned duties. Everybody didn't do the same thing. There are different people, Levites group were given different, 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 different duties in the temple. The temple was where the consecrated men carried out the duty that was given to them by the Lord. Now we are the temple. We are not in the temple, we are the temple. So what do we need to know? Duty is what one ought to do. Duty deals with the motive in the heart and the purpose in life. In Ecclesiastic chapter 12 and verse 13, Solomon told us what is duty. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's duty. This is man's duty. This is our primary duty to fear God and to obey him. Today we don't go to the temple. We don't go out to the temple. Instead the temple goes out. Old Testament everybody went out and went to the temple. Today it's the other way. The temple goes out. You see the temple got out and gathered here. The temple goes out. In the temple, in the old covenant, everybody had a duty. Today we are the temple. Therefore you will see in scripture from Ephesians 5 and practically the whole half of Ephesians 6 tells us every job, every occupation, every work 
falls under the believer's sacred duty. The husband has a sacred duty. The wife has a sacred duty as unto the Lord. Everything unto the Lord. The children have a sacred duty. Ephesians 6.1 Parents have a sacred duty. Employers have a sacred duty. Employees have a sacred duty. Everything is given over there as unto the Lord. Why? Because now you are not doing a specific duty in the temple. You have become the temple server. Every duty you do is sacred. Because it's associated with God. It's associated with God. There's nothing. As a student, your studies is sacred. It's nothing that you do. It's not sacred because you are the temple. And if you start seeing life that way, you will suddenly realize there is nothing called menial in the kingdom of God. There is nothing that is called beneath us because everything becomes sacred because we have become the temple and the spirit of God lives in us. In us. Spirit of God lives in us. So read Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, the first 7 or 8 verses and you will see every occupation, every role in life you can think about husband, wife, father, mother, children, employee, employee, seven. Everything is covered, right? Is there anything left? No. Everything is covered. And everything becomes sacred. Everything becomes sacred. In Matthew 25, in verses 31 to 33, when the final judgment takes place, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from the another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right, and and the goats on the left. Sheep on the right, and goats on the left, depending upon where you look from. So don't worry, if you think you are the right and you are the left, you're feeling bad, then where you are sitting, they become the right and you become the left. So this is not judgment seat. One day everybody will stand before God's judgment seat. And when they are judged, do you know ultimately what on basis they are judged? Whether they kept their duty. The judgment is based on duty. You were a priest. You were the temple. And I had told you This is what you were supposed to do as a husband, as a father, as a son, as an employer, as an employee, whatever. He says, you will be judged for your duty. There are countless, countless areas where we are bound by duty. In worship, in witness, in work, in prayer, in tithes, in giving, in obedience, In holiness, in all these things, we are bound by duty. You're bound by duty. You're bound. People don't realize. You people, I'm I'm telling you, this it doesn't make a difference to me, but I keep telling you because it will make a difference to you. Let's talk about employees. Peter, uh, tomorrow is uh, Thursday. Let's say you're working for Amazon. If you're not going, will you report? Will you let them know I am not coming? Will you? But how come when people don't come to church, they never tell? Why? Because you're not, don't see it as a sense of duty that you belong. And I, I, I owe it to God and His people. 
There's no sense of duty. I'm not bound to anything. I'm not bound. This is a very serious thing in our, in our minds. Very serious things. We don't, we don't. You know, one or two will say, I, I am stuck. I am not able to come, but the rest don't even. And the saddest part is now because we have WhatsApp. Well, church is going, people keep WhatsApp. And there's somebody who just called. Somebody who belongs to the church. Forgetting today's ministry and ministry is going on. Have you noticed? How we are not bound. And the thing is that we are bound to the things of the world. But we are not bound to God. We are not bound to God. The problem is we will take it further and further and further in life. Because it becomes part of our character. We'll take it further and further and further because it's very difficult to change as we grow older. Unless the change has already taken place when we were younger. Understand this. So we are bound to many things as the temple of the living God. Seventh thing you see in the temple. There was sacrifice. The other thing is consecration. Offer your body as a living sacrifice is consecration. Okay? There was consecration in the temple. There was also sacrifice in the temple. If you had ever been alive during those times when the temple was there, and if you entered the Jewish temple, as opposed to usual other temples you see today, or churches, or synagogues, or mosques, the Jewish temple. That's why there is no Jewish temple. The third one will be built, but there is no Jewish temple now. What you were captivated was was the sight and the smell of death. It was not a pleasant sight. It was not a pleasant sight. Be here, wow, the glory, everything and all. That is from God's perspective. Because his justice is being met. But if you are human and you are walking in, what caught your nose and your eyes and your ears is the sound, the sight and the smell of death. Thousands upon thousands of animals being killed. It was a scene every day literally depicting the result of the fall of man. The wages of sin is death. All you need to believe the wages of sin is death was to enter into the Jewish temple. You knew the wages of sin was death. That's all you saw. Three deaths. Threefold death. One, mortality. Meaning, your body is dying. One day it will die. Second, spiritual death. Because of sin, man is spiritually separated from God. Three, if God doesn't make atonement, you will eternally die. Three deaths were signified there. Three deaths. One, you are dying and your body will die one day. There is no rescue for this body. Second, spiritually you are dead. You are cut off from God. Unless God bridges the gap. Third, if God doesn't make atonement and forgive you, you are eternally also dead. God's only solution was in Christ. Only solution was in Christ. That's the Christ. The new covenant in Christ, we become the temple. So, we must die when we live. 
in order that we may live when we die. In the old covenant temple, when you entered, all you saw was death. So that they could have life. The new covenant temple, all God should see is death to self, death to flesh, death to the world, death to everything that is of the old nature, so that one day he can give us life to this mortal body, life to this soul, eternal life to this spirit. It's the same thing. It's not different. We die to self. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I am dead. Myself is dead. We die to this world system. Galatians 6.14 God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified. Crucifixion is death. I am crucified. The world is crucified. My flesh is crucified. Myself, my flesh. Colossians 3, 5. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Put to death every member that is on earth. And gives a list. A whole list. Can you more can be added to this list? He says put to death. Death to self. Death to the world. Die to the flesh. To die once is appointed to everyone. Hebrews 9, verse 27. As it is appointed for men to die once. And after that it is judgment. New covenant priest, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our God, I die daily and therefore I judge myself daily. Therefore, on that day, I live forever and there is no judgment. It's all there. Parallel. Unless we see it in parallel, we won't appreciate what God has done for us. An incredible thing. That's why Peter says all the prophets and the wise men of the old ages search the scriptures and glory to see our days. Because they never could aspire for it. Never, never. Can you imagine if Ezekiel was living in our time or Jeremiah or Isaiah, they would have been dancing every day 24-7. Abraham. Jesus told about Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. But he didn't attain it. He didn't attain it. Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. In the old temple, there was death daily. The new covenant we die daily. These sacrifices are offered daily in the New Testament temple. That's us by the new covenant priests. Eighth thing, when the men saw the temple of God in Jerusalem, they were reminded of the glory and of the name of God. They were reminded of God's glory and the name of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. God says, Jewish days, if anybody wanted to know the glory of God and the name of God, they had to come to Jerusalem. They had to come to the court of the Gentiles and they see what is happening and they would say, your God is different. He's glorious. But today he says, I made you all into a temple and sent you around. And I put my name on you. I put my glory in you. 
This is the only way they will see my name and my glory on earth. You display it or you don't display it. You cover it or you display it. That's the only, most people will only know and read this temple. They won't see it otherwise. They won't see otherwise. So Paul tells us, everywhere we go, we are God's message written. The only message most people will ever read. The only testimony God has in place. So God says, how are we treating the house of God? Ninth thing. When they came to the temple, okay, before that, when God saw the temple, when people, I say a Gentile came to the temple, what they saw was life and death. Life and death. It was terrible. They were reminded only of that. God says, when you go out in the new covenant, that's exactly what people will see in 2 Corinthians 2. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one who are, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, we are the aroma of life leading to life. It's very simple. As you're listening to the word, if you're so bored and you're tuning out, you are the aroma of death. I'm not joking. I'm taking it very seriously. Take it very seriously. That's how you know whether you are saved or not. That's how you know you're saved or not. Very simple. If you're truly saved and the Spirit of God is there, your spirit will always hunger for the Word of God. Because that's your food. You're hungry. But if you are not saved and you are perishing, the Word of God is like the aroma of death. What? Waste of time. I'm forced to come here. Wish I could have spent my time on something else. Scripture says very clearly, each one of you, when you go out, if you are walking in the testimony of God to some, you are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life leading to, leading to life. Leading to life. So you don't have to worry. Our job is to just allow God into our lives and allow Him to increase. How people perceive us is according to the life in them. According to the life in them. Death to death or life to life. Because God says, I have written me in you and sent you out. The Gentiles or the Jew came to the house of God That's all they saw. If they had repented and come and offered a sacrifice, they went back with life. But if they did not, what they saw was death. God says, that's what each one of you are called to be. Death or life. The ninth thing is this. We need to get fundamentals very, very clearly. When they came to the temple, they came to hear from God. They came to hear from God. Even when the temple was at Shiloh, the little tabernacle was Shiloh. Remember, Hannah came over there broken in her heart and God spoke like an oracle through Elida, high priest. He was a blind high priest, but God still spoke through him. People came, broken people who really searched came to hear the oracles of God. Oracle means God speaking. You know what Peter says? We are the temple. In First Peter chapter 4, verse 11. If anyone speak, let him speak as the Oracle of God. 
That's why I said you should talk less. Talk less. Okay. Really, you should talk less. Because we are not speaking as oracles of God. We are speaking as oracles of the world when we speak too much outside. Because you have to remember what we are. We are not called for light conversation and useless conversation and waste of words. We are not. We need to realize who we are. We are the temple of the living God. And in us resides the spirit of God. So God says if any man speaks, let him speak as an oracle of God. Because why did people go to the temple? They went to the temple. One of the reasons they went to the temple was to hear from God. So God says, there's no temple in Jerusalem. There's no temple in Jerusalem. Where will people go? I said, I have made you all my temples. You meditate upon my word day and night. Do not depart to the left or the right. Whenever you open your mouth, be an oracle for God. Although people will come to you because they want to hear from God. Hear from God. You You can. You can. Little Samuel became an oracle for God as a young boy. David became an oracle for God as a teenager. Daniel became an oracle God as a teenager because there was no voice in Jerusalem. The temple was shut, but God did not stop speaking. God did not speak. Stop speaking. So we need to realize how does God look at us in the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant because we have become the temple of the living God. Because if we don't get our fundamentals right, we'll get sidetracked and lost on the way foundation on which believers should build their life is this. God is holy. God is holy. Therefore, everything connected with him is holy. In Proverbs 16, 25 scripture says, there is a way that seems right to man. But the end of his, or the way is death. End of it is death. Everything that we see happening, In this world, everything that is happening in your life and everybody's life is because God is holy. Everything that happened in heaven is happening in heaven is because God is holy. Satan was cast out of heaven because God is holy. Adam and Eve, God's own precious two children, were cast out of the garden because God is holy. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross because the Father is holy. Not just righteous. Not righteous. Holy. It's the difference between righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is the outworking of God's actions. But his, all his ways are righteous because he is holy. I am not holy. Therefore all my works are not righteous. If my son sins, I may just cover it. Because I am not holy. But God is holy. So when son is put on his, sin is put on his only begotten son, he'll finish him off because he's holy. That's why we need to understand this whole thing because we confuse righteousness and holiness because we look at our righteousness as God is righteous. No, God's righteousness is entirely different from our righteousness because God's righteousness is prompted by his holiness. And God will make no, no, Absolutely no adjustments with his holiness. No provision with his holiness. He will not. He will not. So we have to build on that. Sin has to be judged because God is holy. Christ, when he went on the cross, had to be judged because God is holy. 
Look at everything in the term of holiness, in terms of godliness. Godliness is holiness, is the very nature of God. Because so many things which we do are good, but they are temporary. Many, many, many things which we do in life are good. They are not per se bad. They are good, but they are temporary. They don't have eternal significance. So Paul to Timothy and God to us will say in 1st Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 and 8 reject profane and old wife fables. Exercise yourself towards godliness. Don't waste your time. What is this? Profane old wives cup cup sitting and talking nonsense. He said exercise towards Godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little. Yes, bodily exercise profits. But let me tell you young men who go to the gym and all. Don't waste your time with weights. The problem with weights is that all your life you will have to do weights. You will have to do weights. And if you stop stop your weights, you become flabby. So exercise, because the reason you want a fit body is to keep on serving God as you grow older, not to lift weights. Understand purpose behind it. When a man in the world goes to the gym, his purpose is completely different. It's carnal and fleshly. When a child of God is exercising, his purpose is entirely different because the foundation on which is building everything is holiness unto God. Discipline is not holiness. But you look into any man or woman in the old or new covenant, every holy man or woman was disciplined. Discipline. Because you cannot holy and be indisciplined. Discipline doesn't mean you are holy. So the foundation on which we build holiness, discipline is an integral part of it. So therefore you are not holy now because you don't even know what it means. But be disciplined. One day when the foundation of holiness comes, the discipline will work for you. That's what happens when Catholic Jesuit priests come to the Lord and Muslims come to the Lord. They are on fire for God, but they are already disciplined in their ways and they are able to serve God. Just like that. The Muslim is already used to praying five times a day. You don't have to tell him, pray now, now that you are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows what it is to pray without any issue. He's already disciplined. After 13 years in the seminary, when the Jesuit priest comes out, his body is already disciplined. All he needs to know is this God and his spirit. Once it happens, he leaves and he serves God on fire. Because he's disciplined. Earlier they were disciplined, but they were not holy. We have been declared holy, but we have no discipline. God says, no, it doesn't work doesn't work that way. Understand fundamentals, how it works. So he says, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Not only that, having promise of life that now is, and of that which is to come now and eternity. It's not temporary. So he's telling Timothy and telling us young people, older disciple to younger Timothy, he's a little lazy fellow. You read Timothy carefully, you will know why he's so tough with Timothy, because Timothy is laid back. Endure hardship, Timothy. Endure hardship, Timothy. Hold on to this, Timothy. Work hard, Timothy. Read Timothy. Study Timothy. Preach Timothy. Everything has to be told to Timothy. Why? Because Timothy is a little lazy fellow who will become a great man one day, become the bishop of Ephesus and all that. He will probably die if I am right as a martyr too. Okay, but he's a young man. And Paul is telling him, pursue godliness, holiness, pursue it. 
for bodily exercise profits very little. Discipline yourself to be godly. Because the reason behind discipline should be godliness. In Hebrews 12 and verse 11, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Righteousness is not holiness. Righteousness is an outworking. But because you went through the rigor, hardship of discipline, your ways are already set. All you need is the power of holiness to go in that way. Ways are set. So all this has meaning in the kingdom. Because in salvation, there is a call and a purpose. In salvation, there is a call and a purpose. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. He called us in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. If you reject this message today, God says, you didn't reject Pastor James. He didn't call you. I called you. And I called you to holiness. He says, if you reject this message, he does not reject man, but God, who has given us his Holy Spirit to make us holy. God had charged the children of Israel to do that was right. Always. Deuteronomy 6 verse 18. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you that you may go in and possess the land. He says you need to be very careful. He was telling the children of Israel. What God says in Romans 12 9 again is connected with that. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. It's all part of holiness. It is God we saw on Sunday. It is God who decides what is good. And what is evil? It's God who decides. Therefore, we come together to learn from the word. It is the God spirit through the word tells us what is good and what is bad. What is evil? What is righteous? And he says, cling to what is good. In first Peter chapter, second Peter chapter one, three says, his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and Godliness. God doesn't separate life and godliness. We want a life apart from godliness. God says, no, I have given you everything that is a life with godliness. How do you know? Through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge. We get to know more and more and more and more of God. Through study and through experience. Through study and through experience. And he says, he has given us Everything that is needed for life and for godliness. Because everyone sitting here is building something. Their life on some some foundation. We have heard about many messages on the man who built the house on the sand. The man who built the house on the rock. The difference was the deep, solid foundation. Or a shallow foundation. Ramba. Times of testing will reveal the foundation on which we are built. The word of God wants there will be terrible times in the last days so that we will know whether our foundation was holiness or not. Both the houses looked the same from outside. What was different was their foundation. Foundation cannot be seen. Foundation cannot be seen. It is a storm that shows the foundation out. 
until your storm or your temptation or your trial hits you will never know your foundation foundation was revealed when the storm hit so god says in the last days there will be perilous time and which a perilous word cyclone coming god says no this is perilous time timothy no 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 second timothy chapter 3 1 to 5 but know this that in the last days perilous times will come i look around everything seems to be normal god says do you know how to read perilous times men will be lovers of themselves if you are a lover of your soul perilous time has come lovers of money people love money they want money boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents or any authority don't sit here and say thank god i don't have my parents with me no who are substitutes your parents for you unthankful unholy and then unloving unforgiving slanderers without self control brutal despisers of good traitors headstrong haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god you don't need to fit the whole list you need to fit only one item in the list having a form foundation was a problem outside both the houses looked the same both looked had a form of godly when you look from outside both look godly but one had a real foundation which was based on holiness what just had a outward form though when that peril testing time came the real self was revealed that's why god calls it perilous times so when god says in romans 12 and verse 9 he says yeah abhor what is evil cling to what it is good remember cling 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 let god decide what is good you don't decide what is good i don't decide what is good what is good is what god's word says is good because we do not decide good and bad according to the culture that changes what is abomination for god is abomination for god it doesn't change because god does not change god does not change so as you grow and you understand god more start changing discipline yourself to be godly let me read an excerpt okay i just try to use a farmer plows his field sows the seed and fertilizes and cultivates all the while knowing that in the final analysis fertilizes and cultivates all the while knowing that in the final analysis he is totally dependent on the forces outside of himself he knows he cannot cause the seed to germinate he cannot produce the rain and sunshine for growing and harvesting the crop for a successful harvest he is dependent on these things from god yet the farmer knows unless he diligently pursues his responsibilities to plow to plant to fertilize and cultivate he cannot expect a harvest at the end of the season in a sense he is in partnership with god and he will reap its benefits only when he has fulfilled his own responsibilities farming is a joint venture between god and the farmer 
The farmer cannot do what God must do and God will not do what the farmer should do. We can say just accurately that the pursuit of holiness is a joint venture between God and the Christian. No one can attain a degree of holiness without God working in his life. But just as surely, no one will attain it without effort on his own part. God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness. But he has given us the responsibility of doing the walking. He does not do that for us. Learn from nature. Paul plans, Apollos waters, God gives the increase. But God doesn't give any increase where there is no planting and watering. If there is no planting and watering, there is no increase. So there is God's part. You can be absolutely sure he's faithful to his part. There is our part. Our part. Holiness is absolutely important for God. As Christians, we greatly enjoy talking about the provision of God. How Christ defeated sin on the cross and gave his Holy Spirit to empower us. But we do not talk about our own responsibility to walk in holiness. We prefer to leave that to God. We pray for victory when we know we should be acting in disobedience. We often do not see the destruction between God's provision, the distinction between God's provision and our own responsibility for holiness. God enjoins each one of his children in Hebrews 12 and verse 14. He says, pursue peace with men, all men, and holiness without God, by which, without which no one will see God. Pursue. It demands diligence and effort. Another version will say, strive. Another version will say, make every effort. It is a lifelong effort. Pursue holiness. God never says in the Bible, attain holiness. Because holiness cannot be attained in this life. But it can, has to be pursued all our life. All our life. This is a chase which will be always a chase. This chase never finishes until we die. But God says, pursue holiness without which no one will see God. It's a lifelong effort. Something which will never attain in this life. So the wise saint will forever pursue, never give up, even while knowing he will not attain holiness in this life. But he will never give up because he knows this is the reason which Christ Jesus caught hold of me. I need to be holy because I want to see Christ. I want to see Christ. Do you remember David in the darkest hour when everything was lost? He still strengthened himself in the Lord. Abiyadar brought the effort and he asked him, do you have a word from the Lord? What did he say? Pursue. Overtake. Recover. In life you can do many things. Pursue, overtake and recover. But when it comes to holiness, you will never overtake. It's a pursuit for life. In John chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus described eternal life. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. Salvation is the beginning of eternal life. 
Holiness is the process. So that we may see God. That they may know you. You want to know him? More and more, God says there's only one process. That's the process of holiness. Otherwise, we really won't know him. We may know about him a lot, but we really won't know him. Really know him. Which means we experience him fully in eternity. Pursue holiness. The reward is there. It is inscribed in the last chapter of the Bible better than anywhere else. In the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. There shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servant shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. What set of people? They are not in the new heaven. They are not in the new earth. They are in the city with God. About the others, it is not mentioned this way. About those who live in New Jerusalem, it says they shall see his face. And there his name is on their foreheads. His face, their name is on there, for his name is on. And then, in Revelation 22, again last chapter 10, and he said to me, do not seal the words of this prophecy for this book, for the time is at hand. Daniel was called to seal his book. We are told, through John is told, don't seal it, let them know it. Why? The end is here. He who is unjust, let him be unjust. He who is filthy, let him be filthy. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Why? Because those who are pursuing holiness will continue pursuing it. Those who are pursuing unholiness, ungodliness will continue. God says, I'm not stopping anybody. I'm not stopping anybody. So we don't even realize we are going one way or the other. One way or the other. The danger which I have learned after so many years studying, experiencing in the lives of others and all is this. You see, when you go the wrong way, continuously in spite of the knowledge of the truth, after some time, your will becomes bent. Your will becomes bent. So even if you know it is right, and this is wrong, your will has been bent to wrong, you choose wrong because you don't have the strength to choose right. Will is bent. Godliness is also the same way. If you continuously choose it that way, your will is bent. So it doesn't matter what pressure comes. You can be dragged in chains, you may be set before the greatest king on earth, but the first thing your will says is choose holiness. I will not eat from this table because I am a kosher eating Jew. This is unclean. Will is bent towards holiness. He's a old age. He's told, 30 days nobody shall pray. But your will is bent because every day of your life, as far as you can remember as a child, probably for 80 years, 85 years, 3 days a day, you have opened, you have stood near the window facing Jerusalem and you have prayed. Now the edit of a king cannot change your will. It is bent towards that. Nothing can. Nothing can. Fire is 7 times hotter. All that. But your will is bent in honoring God. And his holiness said, if God wants to rescue, he can. If he doesn't want to rescue, he doesn't have to. That is irrelevant. We know God is holy and only him we will worship. Our will is bent that way. That's the final warning God says. Who is unjust? Let him be unjust. 
He's filthy, let him be filthy. Unholy, let him be unholy. But he who is righteous, let him be still be righteous. He who is holy, let him be holy. So now when you are young, when you are young, and your will is still fragile, still malleable, still malleable, still can be molded. You are not set in your ways yet. You think you are not, you are not. You are not. You are not. You are not. Set. You are not. You can. The last two verses. And beloved, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. All those who pursued holiness and righteousness, my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. You can experience more and more and more of his life. Know him more and more and more. You are young. There's a lot of disciplines which are good in itself. Not holy now. Holy is when it is empowered for the passion towards God. But they are good in itself. That's why you discipline yourself in those ways. You know? I mean, if there is any church in this city who needs, doesn't have to go anywhere for books, it is this church. Ask Vijay, how many books are there? You have only seen one set of books, you haven't seen the rest of the books. You've come to the church office and seen maybe a thousand books. In the other side of my other apartment, there is another two thousand books. Which only he has seen and nobody has seen. I said, you graduate from here, you can come here. And another ten cartons are coming. They will keep on coming because people know whom to send. You will never finish reading the books in your own library in this lifetime. If you want to read. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. Only thing, take the discipline and start exercising the discipline in godly books. It will frame your thinking and your mind. Thinking and your mind. Reading itself is a discipline. Reading godly books is another discipline. You know you are set in life to start during these perilous times that are coming. Incredibly perilous time is here. A world that is going haywire. Absolutely haywire. Haywire. But pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. You have to pursue holiness because the danger with knowledge is this thing. That's why scripture says knowledge because your children, let me tell you what. You need to have holiness. Knowledge without holiness is dangerous. The problem with holiness, knowledge, understanding, wisdom is that when people open their mouth and they talk, you know them. You know them. You know they are ignorant. But you need to be humble not to judge them. And not look down upon them. That's why you need holiness. To guard your own heart. Jesus, he listened to everybody. He knew them all. Scripture says he knew all men. He knew all men. Sometimes you just want to run away from conversation. Because people open their mouth. They are showing their ignorance. Total ignorance. But you need to be humble, to judge yourself first and not judge them. Jesus never looked down on anybody except the Pharisees. Never. Imagine if you and I were in Jesus' position, would you sit down and talk with a Samaritan woman about the greatest subject of life, worship? 
which he refused to discuss with Nicodemus, but discuss with a Samaritan woman about worship. We have worship seminars in this city every year. People coming from abroad and teaching worship leaders about worship. Whom did Jesus teach worship? Okay, understand. Get these concepts, all these concepts deep into your heart. You know, and learn to listen. Learn to read. Learn. Ask God for understanding so that when you read, you also understand what these things mean. Otherwise, the problem is, you would read these Bibles and it will be like Amar Chitrakata. Stories of the Bible. No, these are not stories. This is life. The life of God inscribed in the hearts of men and women over 6,000 years. These are not stories. This is not fiction. This is life of God. God breathed. That's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit has been breathed into this. And people wrote as they were moved by the Spirit of God. So we need understanding and we need wisdom. How to apply it in life. Then God said, you're pursuing. It's because you sought life here all your life. You have the right to the tree of life. The right to the tree of life. Experience me more and more and more and more. All of eternity. Experience and grow in the knowledge of God. Pursue holiness. Pursue. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. I thank you for all those who have come today, all those who will listen over the days, especially for these young children, Lord. They are young, Lord, all teenagers, young. They have come, some of them don't even know why they have come, but they have come, they have heard. I pray, Father, you will put that desire in them, Lord, that desire in them, that desire in them to know you and to know you more and more. That they truly hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Which is found hidden in your word. Revealed by your spirit. Cause them to hunger Lord. Cause us all to hunger more and more. Because that's this is one hunger that can be never satisfied in this life. But you said if we open our mouth wide, you will fill it with good things. Touch these young ones, Lord. Touch, touch, Lord. Touch. Help them to turn away from these wicked things. The things of this world which do not satisfy. Which creates more lust. But to turn to the things of God which creates a hunger which you can satisfy each day. Protect them. Put a guard around their feet, Lord, that they don't slip. They don't stumble. And they don't fall into the muck. Keep them close to you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Bless them in your name. Brought us safely, reach us home safely. For in Jesus' name we pray.